Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Perhaps uh, as you're listening, you're driving or you're uh, in a building or you're in an urban center somewhere. And uh, I would just uh, ask you, if you were to walk out on the sidewalk from where you are, or if you're driving, uh, what do you see? What do you see uh, on the skyline around you? Uh, from the sidewalk, there's an incredible view, and uh, people see all kinds of things. If you are uh, what I have coined as a compassion entrepreneur, you go out on the sidewalk, and the first thing you see is uh, buildings and, and people and environments and uh, the compassion entrepreneur looks at it and says, what could be here? What could happen here? How could this change? Well, if, if you're gripped by such a vision uh, and are thinking, how do, I, how do I make a difference? What can I do? Um, some people uh, have a very much of an independent vision and uh, they only want to do something that they can have maximum control over. And other people uh, will come and they'll say, uh, look, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't know how to, how to start something, but um, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, uh, at the Our City Toronto conference uh, back at the end of February in Toronto, we had a, a cadre of great speakers and recorded a bunch of the sessions. So today, we're going to hear Pastor Dagma Koyi and her session, Starting a Community Agency from Scratch. I hope you enjoy it. Let's listen to Dagma now. Okay, awesome. So I guess we're here to learn about starting a nonprofit. I'll just give you a little bit of a, a context about who I am, and then maybe um, I can find out maybe um, where you are in your nonprofit journey. Perhaps if you started, if you're doing something, or you have a dream or a vision of starting. So I started uh, in 2015, uh, seven years, I would say, to the time that God actually gave me the vision. <laughs> to start a nonprofit. So my name is Dag McCoy, and um, I am the founder and executive director for REST Centers, and it's an organization that serves uh, homeless youth, youth experiencing or at risk of homelessness. We currently serve the entire region of Peel. We serve over 200 young people on an annual basis. Um, the organization is actually on its way um, to our uh, scaling. So we're currently um, now building a strategy around taking the organization and implementing it in other cities across uh, Canada. Uh, that's just how successful our model has been. Uh, since starting REST Center, um, we're, now, we're, we're now in a place where I, I would say that region of Peel would not be able to talk about homelessness, especially with a, an organization or serving the mission of helping BIPOC youth without having to mention my name. Uh, that's just how strategic uh, God has um, given me the placement as the first, um, per the first individual to start a nonprofit addressing homelessness for black youth in not just in the region of Peel, but even uh, throughout Canada. So I mentioned that it took seven years, actually, between when God actually gave me the vision before I actually started working on it. And one of the things that kept me back from working on this vision was because I believe the lie, and so I'll find out where you are on your nonprofit mission, and maybe some of you may just be have accepted that lie. So I remember, while well, I came, I, I'm originally from Saint Lucia. I'm not from Canada, but I was. I'm originally from Saint Lucia, and uh, in my coming into Canada in my early twenties, I experienced a lot of housing instability. I moved across five cities, I think, in about two years. Um, just uh, we had, I had a dysfunctional home with my dad. I migrated it to be with my father. But I came into Canada very strongly rooted in my faith. I was a Christian, so I had that. And that was my pillar. That was my anchor throughout my transition and throughout my instability. So here I was. My world seemed upside down. I did not understand why I was going through so much turmoil, if you will, in Canada. After all, I believe that God had a better plan for my life 
taking me from St. Lucia to bring me to Canada. So now in this transition, I'm like, what's going on here, God? But it really pushed me in a place of seeking God for purpose and for meaning. And I wanted to know God, like I'm in this country and I'm experiencing so much hardship, so much difficulties. Why am I here? You know, why, why do you have me here? What's my purpose for being in this country and what I'm experiencing? And I think it was in that, in that session or that time of that pain and that transition, the Lord began to speak to me and he shared with me that I want you to, some of my experiences really is what God have actually built an organization around. But he spoke to me clearly that he wanted to use me to build um, an organization that would help youth that are experiencing housing insecurity. And he told me a lot about what it was going to entail and some of the programming and what we're going to do for those youth that are in transition. And I thought, wow, that's an amazing plan. Wow. But I couldn't afford my rent. So you're telling me I'm going to do this in a time that I was even struggling to pay my rent. So at that time, I was like, wow, God, great. Yay. So it means that you have something really great. So it really made me excited about the future. But I was very much in touch with my reality. And so I said, okay, God, when I'm rich like Oprah, I will do this amazing thing for you. And so I was in my mindset, I felt like I needed to attain a certain amount of wealth before I was able to impact my community or to take action on what God told me. And so for that reason, that vision was in my journal and was buried because in my mind, I had already concluded that I had to look like Oprah for me to be able to create great change. And so that was... Uh, but God is really strategic, and he orchestrates, and he plans out our life. And so I went for Bible college. I did four years in Bible college. I left Bible college. I find challenges finding employment because nobody wanted to hire somebody for a Christian degree. And I did Christian counseling, and I was like, okay. But then I ended up at Young Street Mission, and it was all, I would say, it was all God's, part of God's plan. And that's how I know EJ <laughs> invited me to speak here. I ended up in Young Street Mission, and guess what? Young Street Mission was my introduction to homelessness in Canada, because I had zero knowledge. I did not even know that uh, what I was experiencing at the time was housing insecurity, homelessness, precarious living, moving across five different cities in two years, living out of your suitcase. I was pretty much at risk of homelessness, and that's the story of many of the youth that we now serve. And so Young Street Mission, introduced me to what God was calling me to serve because I had zero knowledge. And being at Young Street Mission, I realized that there were so many young people experiencing homelessness, and this was a thing in Canada. And I realized too that many of those young people, when you sit down and you listen to their stories, all the reasons behind their homelessness, you will realize there's so much trauma, there is so much dysfunction, and then these, this is a population that God intends to reach. This is a hurting population, and they need help. And so I served at Young Street Mission as an employment counselor, and I worked with those youth. However, although God spoke to me, remember I said God spoke this to me, but it was buried. I still did not connect the dots. And the dots really began to connect for me one day when instead of serving as an employment counselor, the housing outreach worker was not available. And so they said, can you serve in that position for today? And I sat down there, and in Young Street Mission, what used to happen is the door opened up for clients at 12 noon. And so before the doors opened, the lines would be so long. And there were about over 30-something youth waiting in line. But the amazing thing, the center offers so many different services. So they had the drop-in center, they had healthcare, you can see employment counselor, you can receive psychotherapy. There was a vast number of services happening that youth could choose from and decide where they wanted to be served. But then you realize that, wow, this line, every single one of those young people, they're not lined up for other services. They're lining up to see the housing worker. And so I was the housing worker that day. And at the time, they're coming to you because they need assistance with finding housing. And the only thing as an organization that the organization had the power to do was provide two tokens to address the need of housing. And so those youth would come and they would say, well, here's two tokens. Go out in the community 
and find what is deemed affordable rent and see if you could find a place to stay. And as a housing worker being in that role, you feel very disempowered because there are those young people who have already been defeated, cannot find a place to stay, and you are so limited in what you could do to help address that need. And you realize like, wow, what does the homeless really need? Before employment, before all these things, the homeless need a place to live. You, housing is a human right. We need shelter. We need a place to call home. And so that day, it's almost as if it was like a deja vu. I don't know if you believe, I don't believe in deja vu. What I'm just trying to say was like an awakening for me. It was that day the Holy Spirit reminded me, remember what I, I, I told you about? He's like, that's the problem that I say that you will serve. And I was like, oh my God, I buried that thing. I never saw, I had been working at Young Street Mission. And so that day God brought it to my awareness because I felt so disempowered that the youth kept on coming and sharing their stories and how they have already been defeated. Landlords do not want to rent for them. They cannot get a place. They do not have the money to afford a place. And the only thing you could say, okay, here's two tokens, try again. And other than that, the tokens were also limited. I think we could have only given out 20 tokens in the day. So when the tokens were done, the other youth would sit down and there was nothing you could do. And it was that moment of feeling defeat in addressing a need, the Holy Spirit reminded me, this is it. However, it did not solve the, the need of, okay, God, I can get the money to do this. Are you kidding me? Like housing for homeless youth? <laughs> this is just not serious, God, because guess what? As a worker in Young Street Mission, many times when we had the executive leaders over and we had meetings as frontline staff, we would advocate and we would say, can you do something about the housing issue? Can Young Street Mission do something? And I remember clearly they would say, well, we would love to, but funding. Where do we get the money? You know, we provide all these services, but to think about providing housing, that's another level of money. And I'm like, God, if Young Street Mission cannot solve this, how do I solve this problem? This, this, God, the, it does not make any sense to me. And so what I want you to know is maybe many of you are in this, I'm not sure, because this is a, um, a workshop on how to start your nonprofit. So maybe perhaps you have started, or maybe perhaps God have given you a big dream like he did me uh, to, to solve a need of housing when I myself was experiencing housing insecurity and when other organizations that are big and established have not been able to solve the need. And here is little me and God is saying, look, this is the problem. So what took me from having this doubt and having this fear and having this reality speaking louder for me than anything else of what God was calling me to do was my understanding of faith. And so I want to say this to just shift some mindsets this morning on what God is calling you to do. So the first thing that I had to realize, what made me take the lip is one, understanding that faith is the currency that moves heaven. Amen. Faith is that currency that moves heaven. Yes. And when I realized that I did not have to have Oprah amount of wealth, <laughs> and all I needed to have was faith in God, I realized that I had been sitting for seven years on something that God had called me to address because I did not look like an Oprah. And even when I took the first move, I still did not have the money that Oprah had. Still today, I don't have that money that Oprah had, right? I, <laughs> maybe one day I'll get to meet Oprah, but I do not have her level of wealth, her affluence. I do not have it, right? But I realized that faith, and I'm like, ding dong. Faith. The Bible says faith is the substance of things not seen. The evidence of things hopes for, the substance of things not seen, right? It's faith. Hebrews 11, 1. And I wanted to read for you from the Amplified Version and the NLT Version. It says, faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical sense. It made no physical sense an immigrant in the land of Canada that still had financial struggles was called to help raise black youth out of housing insecurity. It made no physical sense 
However, if God, <laughs> sorry. But how many of you know that phrase? If God says it, anybody know that phrase? I believe it, and that settles it. But if God said it, we can believe it, and that settles it. So it doesn't matter the measure of your bank account. It doesn't matter if you do not know Bill Gates. It doesn't matter if you do not know Oprah Winfrey. But if you can have faith and believe that the God of the universe, hallelujah, that God has called you to, if it has been deposited in your heart, that you have seen this, God has placed it in your heart, then you can believe that it is possible and it is achievable. And the NLT version, I like, also says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things that we cannot see. So faith was the number one thing that kept me behind from not moving forward. And when I got this concept, I said, now it's time to put faith into action, which takes us to the second step for starting a nonprofit. So you need to have faith. You need to have faith in God and what God has called you to do. But do you know if I had faith and I just kept that vision and say, well, I believe God called me to do it. One day he will, he will do it. One day, one day, one day. Then Rest Center would never have been what it, we have ne- we would never have been to impact hundreds of lives that we are doing on an annual basis. So the other thing that we need to know is that faith without works is dead, right? So faith has to be accompanied with action. Faith cannot be complete if there is no action to it. And so if you believe God has called you to start a nonprofit and you know, for you know, you know, you know, you see it in the dream, God has spoken to you. And yes, you say, okay, God, I believe you called me to do that. Then how do you, how do you attest to that faith? It's your action that will speak of that faith. What actions are you taking that will showing or that will demonstrate that I have faith in what God has called me to called me to do? And so James 2 verses 17 says, faith without works is dead. It simply means if we have faith and we do not act on it, our faith is meaningless. So one, have faith in God and know that faith is the currency of heaven. And two, know that the way that you demonstrate your faith, I think somebody has a book called that, okay? And the way that you demonstrate your faith or your faith comes alive in this world, hallelujah, the way that your faith comes alive in this world is if you put your faith to work by demonstrable actions. You have to do that. Uh, the second thing, the third thing I want to say is that we need to watch the stories that we tell ourselves. So here I am, and I started off Rest Center, and I said, okay, God, I have faith. You said faith is currency because faith is currency. I have faith in you. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, I'm going to take action. So yes. the first thing that I did, I went and I got myself. I had a mentor. I enrolled for a business incubator. I got a business mentor. Um, he began to help me in terms of setting up a board of directors. And I received the training on how to do that. And I did that. And then I registered my organization, registered the name of the organization. I got together with somebody and, and, and also know that if you believe in what God has called you to do, you will invest in it, right? Because I think that's the other thing. We have to be willing to also sow the seed and invest. So invested, got, got together, put my mission statement and everything, and I got clear on what God was calling me to do. But I remember that there was a, a homeless, I think they called it a homeless symposium. And that's right. And was in Toronto. And so there was this whole, I think a lot of government leaders and other leaders were coming together, sector leaders, to talk about homelessness in um, Toronto. And I decided I would go. And so my organization was already registered. It had a name, but nobody knew of it. And so I had Rest Center, and so they would give you the, the, uh, a tag of your name and the name of your organization. So everybody saw me, oh, wow, what's Rest Center? And I was like, oh, Rest Center, this is what we are, and this is who we are. And so I, I spoke the vision to everybody. And they're like, wow, because most of us, um, sorry, my work also, we, are, we have a, a targeted focus on youth exiting the foster care system. At 18, when they exit and they do not have a place to stay, so these are some of our partnerships. We've partnered with CAS. They transition into our program, and we help them to secure housing. And so as I spoke the vision, everybody kept on saying, oh, wow, this is amazing. You need to speak to this individual. You need to speak. So everybody kept on directing me to one individual who was a sectoral leader in that area. And they said, you need to speak to her because, you know, this is something she's very passionate about. And this is something that she's doing some work in. 
And so I was excited because I was like, wow, maybe I can get a mentor. And so I remember I, I got her information. I sent her an email. I said, this is who I am, and this is my vision, and this is what I'm going to do. And I remember when I got on the phone with her, she said, oh, you know what? Give me a time. I'll call you. When I got on the phone with her, she began to paint a picture that it would take, it would take faith in God for you to lift your head after that. She began to paint a picture of impossibilities because she began to ask me, she's like, so who do you know? And she's like, have you connected with any of your municipal leaders? Uh, do you know any of your regional leaders? <laughs> do you know anybody, any provincial leaders? And she began to paint a picture. Do you know this person? Have you spoken to this person? Do you know this? And so she told me that, look, what you're trying to do is impossible because even I attempted it. And I was well connected with all leaders across the board. And if I fail, there's no way you could make it because you just told me that you don't know anybody. And I remember while she was talking, okay, I had faith. Like me, I was just like, oh, lady, I don't know who called you, but I know who called me. So while she was painting her picture, I was just like, I don't know who called you, but I know who called me. I'm on assignment. I don't know who assigned you. I have faith in the God who called me. So while she was saying that, I was reinforcing that to myself. But I kid you not, that day after that conversation, as I entered my dog going home, discouragement came upon me like a spirit. I felt so discouraged. All of a sudden, what I felt was possible looked impossible. And I began to say to God, God, if she cannot do it, what makes you think I can do this? And I began to say to God, but God, did you hear she failed? Like, did you hear all the people she knows? Damn, I, I don't know none of these people. Like, how can I do this, God? And I remember I, I said to God, you better speak to me. Because if you don't speak to me, this thing is about to shut down. It's not going any further. And I remember I went to bed. And not only that, but I remember that year also, there was news that a shelter in Scarborough, the only youth shelter in Scarborough closed down after operating for 23 years because there was no more funding. They had a lack of funding, so they shut down. And I began to really survey the land. And I was like, God, even a shelter in Scarborough, 23 years, God, it shut down. And you're asking me to go now out and do this? Like, how is this possible? But I challenge God. I say, you have to speak to me. And I remember I went to bed that night and I was like, I was discouraged. I woke up and I'm like, God, you didn't say anything yet. You better speak to me or this thing shut down. And I remember when the Holy Spirit said to me, go and read the story of the 12 spies. And I read that story that morning. And this is a message that God gave me loud and clear, which is a message I want you to understand as you're thinking of embarking on your journey of opening a nonprofit or whether you started and maybe you're scaling that anything that God calls us to do, there will always be giants in the land. There will always be giants in the land. There will always be challenges that you will face. There will always be obstacles. But it's important the story that you tell yourself when you're faced with a challenge. It's very important the story you tell yourself when you're faced with an obstacle. So that speaks of your belief systems. So we know the story. There were 12 is um, with, there were 12 spies sent to spy on the land and God said, I'm giving you that land. Mm -hmm. And they were sent to spy the land. And every one of them, as they surveyed the land, they saw the possibilities. They saw what God promised. They said, I saw the big pomegranates. I saw the grapes. Everything was beautiful. It's like what God said, flowing with milk and honey. But the giants, and the Bible tells us 10 of them spoke about the giants and they saw defeat and they saw impossibility. They said, there is no way that we can take a hold of what God has called us to because there are those giants. This is impossible, God. Shelters are closing down. This is a woman who is well-connected. She's a sectorial leader. She's failed, God. This is another giant. Funding, it's another giant, God. Like, where is the money coming from? All of those giants. Nobody knows my name, God. I do not have influence. And so all of these giants, but the Bible says that every, all 12 of them saw the same thing. They saw the very same reality. But two came back with a different report, and that was Caleb and Joshua. And I see people knowing, because I know you know the story. 
But what Caleb and Joshua saw, it wasn't different from what the other ten spies saw. The other ten spies, they saw the same thing. The only difference is the story that they told themselves based on the reality. It's your belief system. What you believe. What are you telling yourself based on what you're seeing? So that day, God gave me lesson 101 on belief. <laughs> and he said to me that, Dagwa, giants will always be there. But it depends on what you're going to tell yourself when you see the giant. Are you going to choose to be like Caleb and Joshua and say, in spite of the giant, because God called me to do this, I will overcome those yes. giants? Or are you going to fold up and say, well, the giants are too big for me. I cannot. And so on the journey of being able to fulfill the assignment that God has given you concerning a nonprofit organization, you have to watch your belief system and be mindful of the stories you tell yourself based on the reality. The truth is, a nonprofit and starting and growing a nonprofit, scaling a nonprofit is hard work. The truth is, funding is also uh, something that it, it takes time to come, but it's possible. There's a lot of money on the table. You could ask me. Last year, I raised over a million dollars for the work that I'm doing with the nonprofit organization, and we keep growing in terms of building funding and having funding partners. Some of our funding partners, are like we have multi-year contracts with the government, uh, with other corporations. So it's possible, but again, we have to believe, right? If based on what she said, I saw the giants and say, you know what, I was in shop, like these other 10 spies, the impact that I have today, I wouldn't see it. But I decided based on the story God taught me from that morning that I was going to move forward um, in what God was calling me to do. The next thing I want to share with you in regards to starting your nonprofit is now we've just done some mindset work, some belief work. Um, the other thing I want to say is that we have to have a clear vision. And I think that's a, a, a place where a lot of us sometimes we struggle. Um, because I know that in Christian service, we do a lot of good. Pastors, they do a lot of good too. Uh, churches, we do a lot of good. Sometimes we have like a soup kitchen. Sometimes we have um, probably services because we see the needs in our community. Um, however, I feel like if we can become more strategic, we'll probably be able to have greater impact. And I think that's what's lacking for a lot of us. A lot of us are already even doing a lot of great good. Some of us, we may just have that passion for doing great good and pack lunches and bring downtown Toronto and say, I want to feed the homeless. Let me just go give food to the homeless. Or some of us are like, oh, well, I want to help my country in Jamaica. I'm going to ship a barrel. And so, so sometimes, we, yeah, we self-fund our way and, and we do all of these different things. Or tomorrow, next year, we do something different because the heart is there, the heart is right in terms of, you know, charitable work. And, you know, when we have the nature of Christ, we always want to do good, right? Before I centered, there's a number of things I did. I, I started a breakfast club in my country, uh, in St. Lucia, for children that were going to school without food. That breakfast club is still running, even though I'm not the one funding it. I did a lunch program for the homeless. Like, so I, I, it's, just, it's just at the heart, my core. You know, I'm, I'm a charitable person. I love to help the poor. However, if you want to be able to have a successful nonprofit, it's different from charitable acts. So you have to decide, do I just want to do charitable acts or do I want to establish an organization? Because it's different. So you could continue doing charitable acts, which is part of the Christian life. We all should do charitable acts, right? But if you want to have a nonprofit organization, it's different. It requires a strategy. There is operations, there is administration, there is programming, there is funding, there is so many things that come. So it's a full entity and it's a business entity. Yes, it says it's non-for-profit, but it's still a business, okay? So in order for you to do that, you have to understand, you have to have a clear vision. And it's Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 that says, write the vision down and make it plain. Write the vision down and make it plain. The nonprofit that you want to start, I want, I'm, I'm going to give you four things in regards to a vision that needs to be clear, that you have to, you have to write. If, if, if you're saying that I want to establish an organization, a nonprofit business, not just charitable acts. So, WWWH, the first thing that you have to identify, what is your why? Why do you want to do this? 
Why is this so important to you? See, because your, your why will ultimately keep you going when things get challenging. Because you could ask anybody who starts a business or an enterprise or anything, anything new. It requires persistence. It requires re resilience. It requires hard work. And at the end of the day, if your why is not strong, you will quit. So for me, as an individual, I could tell you my why. My why is that I want to make sure that I live a life that is spent out. Whatever God asked me to do on this side of the earth, I want to leave, I want to leave empty. I want to leave and ensure that I serve the people that God has called me to serve. I want to leave and ensure that I create the impact that God has placed me on this earth to create. And so that's my why. I do not want to go to heaven and God say, Dagmar, what did you do with what I gave you to do? What did you do with that vision? You know, I, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so for some of us, our missions and our assignments are different. Mm -hmm. It may not just be in the four walls of the church, but maybe God is sending you to the inner city. Right? God is sending you out to the nations. And maybe the vehicle that he's using to help you to reach people, maybe the nonprofit organization, maybe he's sending you to help the poor. And so to do that, you need to have a why. What is your why? That has to be clear when you think about the vision. Then if you have the why and you know, okay, hey, this is why I'm doing this. Because, okay, I, I know God has called me to do this. But also, I, am, I want to honor God or be a good steward of what he has called me to do. When God gives you the vision also, for many of us, the vision, I, 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 can, I, I, I don't take any credit for the work that I do now. You know, I, other, other nonprofit leaders have called me a genius, and I look blank faced because I know that what I have engineered, it did not come from me. So I, anywhere I go, I feel comfortable saying that, hey, what you guys see, God gave it to me. He downloaded it. It's none of me. I don't have the brilliance. He gave it to me, okay? We have to understand the second W is who. Who are we sent to? Who are you called to serve? Who are these people? Who are your target audiences? Is it children? Don't be, don't, you know, I have some other nonprofit friends right now. And rest have been able to, scale a lot faster than some of them. And I keep telling them, I'm like, you're not being strategic. Because if God is calling you to have a salvation army, you will not be able to start serving everybody at the same time. You know, you, it, it, it takes time for you to grow your, your mission or your vision. So you need to get clear with God and get the wisdom. God, who do I serve first? Okay, so if God is calling you to serve families, or he's calling you to serve children. He's calling you to serve youth. He's calling you to serve maybe set do in the sex trafficking se sector or, 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 or women that are um, coming out of the sex trade. Like who is God calling you to serve? That has to be clear. That has to be forefront of the vision. So even when you speak the vision, then somebody here can hear, okay, this is who I can tell you for me. I'm called to serve young people. And, and, and my vision is also clear because I'm serving young people, but it's specific. I'm serving black youth who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness. Actually, it's BIPOC, black indigenous people of color. This is my who. These are the people that God has sent me to. And so I understand my assignment. So your vision should identify your intended beneficiaries or the audience of the vision. It should provide a clear sense of who will benefit from the vision and why it's important to them. Why is it important to them? The second W, sorry, the third W is what? What is the desired outcome or end result? What's that desired outcome or end result? What do you see? You know, many times when God calls us, right? He gives us the end. I don't know about you. I can speak about myself. He shows you, oh, wow, Dagwa, you're going to help you. You're going to take them out of housing insecurity. You're going to provide shelter for them. So the outcome is providing shelter, taking them out of housing insecurity. 
So, but what is that outcome? What outcome? So, whatever, whoever the beneficiaries are that you're called to serve, what is the intended result? The vision should describe the ultimate goal or destination that you are working towards. If it's in your country, Jamaica, and you say, well, I'm honestly set a nonprofit organization, but I'm just selling barrels of food. Okay, so, okay, what, what results are you trying to achieve by selling the barrels of food? Are you trying to help children and take them out of poverty? Is it that you're working to address food insecurity? Is your vision saying, well, I am aware that there are children in Jamaica that goes to school and have no food, and I intend to address food insecurity. So the barrels that I'm saying, I'm not just setting barrels because people have need. I know what the outcome, it's measurable. So I know this time if I send five barrels, I can feed 100 families. And so the next time I can grow my impact and say, uh, my next goal is to send 10 barrels where I know I could feed 200 families. So what is the desired outcome? The second one is what values are important in achieving the vision? So for many of us, we know that we have Christian values. Love is a big, a big part of it. What, what values... And especially as you go into the marketplace, and I think I will address this next because I know that um, uh, EJ said I should address this. What are your values? Integrity. And the last one is the how. And so I think sometimes we may have the no's and, and what, and we may just start without even having the how. And so we probably just think that this is the best way and we're not being strategic. Maybe because this is what we're used to doing, or that's what we see others doing. But let me tell you, God, if you, if you get clear with God on your vision, then whatever you create is going to be so innovative. And in the marketplace, you want to be innovative. In the marketplace, you want to you wanna be established as somebody that is different. And I probably can speak to that about how God has strategically positioned us. And so the how is, how will the vision be achieved? So let me speak to myself. So God, yes, you said I should help youth who are experiencing homelessness. You said I should get them and shelter. But God, like, okay, I don't have money. I cannot build a shelter. How do I, how do, I do this, God? It was a conversation I had with God. And I remember I was right in my bathroom. He said, Dagmar, you know what you will do? You will mobilize community. Dagmar, you know what you will do? You will show community that they have the power to solve the problem. It's not just you. Dagma, you're going to mobilize community in providing housing for you. You do not need to build an infrastructure that costs $20 million and that has maybe can put 100 youth. That's not what I'm calling you. He's like, you mobilize community. And so right in my washroom, God said, you go and, and he downloaded what we call the Bridge of Hope program, which is one of the most innovative programs. Right now, I have York University partnering with us because they want to research, research our model. Right? And so he said, mobilize community. Community members have free rooms. Community members have basements. Community members have housing. You go to community members and show them the importance of helping youth and partner with your organization to provide rental spaces for the youth. And so that's the model that we have created called rest centers. We work with landlords in the community, a landlord who may have a room or a basement to rent, and then they partner with us and we provide those rental spaces for our youth. While the youth are housed, we work with both the landlords and the youth to ensure that the tenancy is successful. So we provide the landlords with training on how to create an environment that's conducive for the youth to be safe. We also provide the youth with training on how to be good tenants. And while they are housed, we call every month to speak to the landlords to ask them, how is everything going? Is there any problem? And sometimes we have to go in and we have to mitigate. Sometimes we have to speak to the youth, but the landlords know that they also have our attention because they're working with us, right? And we also raise funds and we pay subsidies for youth to help them so that they will not miss their rent. And of late, we've had landlords who've been coming to us and say, hey, you take my full house. In fact, we have a couple of landlords who have properties and are coming to us because they want to take their properties and really... Um, 
uh, like they, they want to, they're, they're renovating and I have one particular landlord and she's renovating and she brought us in because she said, you tell me what you want. Do you want three bedrooms here and three bedrooms there? Because we believe so much in this vision and we want to give you our house so that you could house more youth. And we've had more of that coming. But see, God gave me a model that did not require capital investment. It's a model that is community driven. It's a model to show the community that this is not just my problem. This is all of our problem. This is, this is our youth. This is all of our problem. And do you know today, our model focuses on what we call shelter diversion, early intervention, uh, um, eviction preve prevention. All of these things are embo embedded in our model. When God gave me these models, I was not familiar with those terms. But today, the sector in terms of homelessness and addressing youth homelessness, this is where the sector is heading. They want to see the sector move more towards shelter diversion. Because evidence have proven that it's the better approach to addressing youth homelessness. Shelter diversion. Early, early intervention. Working upstream to prevent homelessness. And these are all things that are embedded in our model. So guess who they're running to now? Because I just told you, my organization is the only black-led organization, black-led, black-focused, black-serving, addressing this need in Canada. And not only that, our model is built on shelter diversion, early intervention, shelter, um, homeless prevent, eviction prevention, all of these are strategies in that model. So now, when York University uh, Homeless Hub, Homeless Hub is, is, uh, is, is, is well known. If you research homelessness, you'll see many of the articles. They're very credible body in Canada. So when they want to do research now, so that they can inform the sector on training and provide more training that is aligned with these models, they're asking to partner with us so that they could learn from our model. Now, I'm saying this to say how is important. Because when we go to God for the how, I never knew that God was, God was positioning me for where the sector was heading. He put me ahead of the sector. And that's because I went to him and I say, how do I do this? So when we have the what, we have our why, we need to ask God how. Don't just look at what everybody else is doing and, and, and decide, well, okay, this is the answer. Then maybe I'll just shoot barrels. I say barrels because I'm from the Caribbean. It's something we do all often, right? <laughs> it's something we do often. We shoot barrels, right? Don't just say, that, well, this is what I see everybody else is doing, so I'm going to do it. I'm just going to shoot barrels. Ask God how. He may have a better way, and especially if he's calling you to do it, know that he has the full plan. You have, to, you have to be willing to ask him. So the how is so important. Because I just showed you the how actually positioned me. And I didn't even know that I was being positioned. And then the last thing I want to leave with you is invest in the vision God has given you. If we believe in what God has called us to do, we will invest in it. Right? And some of the investment is not just going ahead and, and shipping the barrels. If you want to set up a nonprofit organization, I told you I, I got a mentor. He, he taught me how to start a board of director. I didn't know. I had no knowledge of how to start a nonprofit organization. But he taught me how to start, how to set up a board and how to do a board meeting. With a nonprofit, there are so many things that you need to learn. Governance is so important, especially if you're going to be partnered with funders and you need their money. The governance structure is so important. If you want to build a credible organization, funding is another critical thing too. Because if you, maybe, I wasn't Oprah, so I needed money to be able to help fund the organization that I did. And there are, there are, there are, there are hundreds and thousands of foundations in Canada that gives money towards nonprofit work. And then we also know that there are government also, the government also gives money. The federal government gives money. The municipal government gives money. The provincial government gives money. There is money for, for, um, for charitable activity. 
But in order to do that, you need to be structured properly. So if you do not understand funding development, getting with somebody, speak to somebody. There is funding, there's even what they call seed funding. With seed funding, you could start your organization just to pilot it. So there are funders, for example, Ontario Trillium Fund, they will give you money just to test your idea. Just to test your idea, they will give you money. And, and you know, with Ontario Trillium Fund, those test grants, you don't even have to be a, an established organization to access it. You don't have to be set up like a nonprofit. You could be what they call a grassroots group. And you say, well, I have this idea to make my community better, and they will give you the money. So you have to understand the, the, the funding scope of how to be able to fundraise, how to be able to get grants, how to be able to access foundation funds. All of this you need to be able to acquire. So I would, I, I would encourage you to invest in, invest in uh, knowledge. And there are many people that do it. And if any of you want to have this conversation, um, I can have a free chat with you. I can give you my number to set up a free chat for a free consultation to help you. But I, I did this because I'm only willing to work with people that are serious. I'm very busy, to be honest. And um, I know that I cannot help everybody. Uh, so those who are serious, you could see me after and I could probably um, have a chat with you and show you how you could do that. But invest. It's so important because sometimes we are doing things and we don't even realize that maybe this is what's missing to help take the work that God has given us to be able to grow and increase the impact and to become more impactful. Okay, so this one came from Egypt and I'm going to break for questions. I think we have 15 minutes left or 10 minutes. I'm not sure. So should I register as a Christian organization? I think he asked me if I could address that. Is there anybody who want to hear that? <laughs> yes, okay. So <laughs> I don't have a yes or no answer, but I have some points of consideration, okay? So the Bible says, Proverbs 2, verses 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So everything that we do, we have to seek God for wisdom. We have to. And so I sought God for that wisdom. Me, I'm a lover of Jesus. Anybody that's close to me know that I will paint him over everything. Yep. I will paint him over everything. And so when I was going into this, like, I wanted to paint Jesus over everything. I was like, Jesus is the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus at midday. But I sought counsel. And from, uh, but, and, and from some of my, uh, the people that I trust for counsel, they said to me, do not paint Jesus over the mission that God has given you. We have to understand because of the environment that we're in and then because we want to create inclusive service. If, God, if the mission was, if my mission is not, um, you know, like we have the church and we know the church is established to preach the gospel. But if my mission was to address homelessness, and not necessarily to preach the gospel, but to address a need, and to address a need like homelessness, then serving the mission, I would need the funds to serve the mission. And sometimes being strategic is knowing that many of the funders will not want to give you money if you're saying that I am a Christian organization. And the reason why they do that, because they believe that by saying you're a Christian organization, you are already excluding some people from the services. So if you say you're an organization, when especially government funders, if they give you money, they're expecting you to serve the community at large. They want you to serve whether the person is a Muslim, whether the person is a Buddhist, whether the person is LGBTQS2, uh, they want you to serve everybody. And if you say you're a Christian organization, they believe that you will automatically eliminate some people from the services. So they're not always willing to give a Christian organization. So, so I remember one of the ways that one of my advisors said it to me. They said, remember when Hadassah was going, when, when, she, when, she, when she went into the palace, Mordecai said to her, don't see that you're Hadassah. See that you are Esther. And she had an assignment from God. And in the right time, based on the way you serve, based on the excellence of your organization, there are many ways that you could be a witness by not painting Jesus all over your organization. 
And so I received that strategic advice and I did not. I did not register REST as a Christian nonprofit organization. Now, I cannot tell you not to do that. Like I said, seek wisdom. You can go before God and ask him yourself and make that decision. But some points that you could consider. Consider the mission. So Christians are called to share the love and the message of Christ with others. And there are many ways to do so. So when deciding whether to register as a Christian organization, it's important to consider whether this will help or hinder the mission or the purpose of the organization. So if my mission was to address youth homelessness and uh, me saying I am a Christian organization would not probably give me the ability to have uh, the partnerships that was required to be able to address the need then it was necessary at that time for me to say, okay, I'm not going to register as a Christian organization. So we have to consider the mission. And we also have to remember too that Jesus welcomed people from all faiths and all backgrounds. He was called to serve all, right? So he welcomed people. So we serve all kind of you, LGBTQ as too. And now let me let you know how I, um, I maintain my Christian witness. Because again, I am a Christian. Everybody in my staff know that I'm a Christian. Every single one of them know that I'm a Christian. My board of directors, because they are actually the, the, the individuals that actually help with governing the organization, when I brought them in, every single one of my board members know the history and the story of how REST was founded. So whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, it gives me an opportunity to be a witness. So I say to them, I'm like, this mission and assignment, this is how it came about. The Holy Spirit gave it to me. And I say to them, because the Holy Spirit gave it to me, if you're coming on here to serve, I need you to understand that I ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom at every meeting. So every board meeting opens with prayer. Are you comfortable with that? I've never had a no. So whether they're a Muslim or whether they're not a Christian, they say yes. And also seeing the way that I serve God through excellence and the mission with integrity, it's also providing a witness for those who work with me. The other thing as a founder has given me to do, even if I'm not, you know, a Christian nonprofit, I get to make the decisions around HR too. And I always pray to God, God, send me the right people. And so there is a, a question. You cannot directly tell people, are you a Christian? But I do have a question in interviews that I ask that kind of helps me to understand if this person is a Christian or not. And so far, I've been able to successfully, not all of my staff are Christian, but majority of them are Christians. And guess what? They're having some of those conversations that as the leader, I'm not able to have with the youth. So some of them are having those conversations with the youth. I remember we had an event, we call that event a rising star, and we were recognizing, you know, youth who come for the program, who have just demonstrated resilience that in spite of trauma, in spite of all of the challenges, they're still continuing with the university education or making strides towards their career. And so we had an event in October, uh, we were just providing certificates and acknowledging them. And anytime I get to speak and share my story, regardless of who's there, I say, this is how rest has started. And I get to say that I'm a Christian. And so I remember one of the young people, she woke up to me and she said, um, I never knew you were the founder because I do not work on the front line. So they get to meet with my staff and interact with my staff, right? I think I have over, over, like, over 12 staff now. So they, they meet with the staff, the case workers, the, the social workers, so they don't get to meet with me. So when they saw me speaking, I never knew you were the founder. So she said, what made you do this? I said, you really want to know what made me do this? And I told her about God and she said, oh, I need to get it right with the one up there. So there are other ways that God is using me to be a witness. And in fact, right now we, we, want, we are planning on doing also a spiritual care program. One of my staff started a Bible study with, the, with some of the youth virtually. So there are other ways that we could be, uh, an, um, we can, we can be an Esther instead of saying that we are Hadassah. But you have to be able to like I said, have that conversation so I cannot tell you yes or I cannot tell you no. But I would say if you're planning, if you're with your nonprofit, you plan to partner with governments and other people, then I would, I would, I would advise you to think about this very uh, critically or other funders. Think about this critically. 
If you're a nonprofit where you know that you're funding, the churches can fund it, then you could probably say you're a Christian, right? If you have a pastor and the church is saying, I'm supporting your mission, then absolutely. But if, you're, if you want to really have more impact and you need the dollars to do so and your funding will come from mainstream, then, then this is something you need to seek wisdom about. Do we have questions? Okay, yes. Just a quick one. What was the question that you asked in the interview that he did you a good um, idea? Uh, I asked them how do they deal with the, the uh, in conversation, I think the question is around how do you deal with address controversial topics like religion, um, uh, gender, and uh, ethnicity. I think the question around that, like how would you address it seeing that, you know, uh, you're working in, and some of them would say, you know what, well, I'm a Christian, but I respect all, you know, I respect people from all different religions and I don't impose on people. I think that's the question, something like that. I think you had a question. Yes. Uh, I came in late, but uh, I'm glad I did. One of the takeaways, important takeaways I got from what you said was that uh, there, is, there are grants and uh, you know, funding available to people who want to start not-for-profit agencies. Uh, so I wanted to ask, there certain, uh, is there certain criteria or format to apply for those grants we have to uh, find professional help in maybe writing or um, letters or apply for those grants or is it something anyone can just absolutely so grants uh, and it depends on the type of grant so you know you may have writing skills but you also need the technical skills too around grant writing and um, every funder has different requirements so to tell you that what you require to do it will all depend on the funding that you're applying for, right? So government funders have different requirements from foundations. Some funders would probably just say, hey, just here's one paper and anybody can fill it, just write it. Maybe because they do not have a big administrative team to review and to evaluate applications. Whereas with the government, they may want your foot, your nail, your tooth, right? They want every single thing from you before you write uh, for that grant. And some, there are some funders that fund nonprofit. Uh, majority of the funders do fund ch uh, the charity, okay? So we know that you can register your organization as a nonprofit organization. And then after a nonprofit, 10 minutes, okay, thank you. After a nonprofit organization, then you could get the charitable status. A majority of funders, they want you to have a charitable status before they fund your organization. Uh, especially the foundations, because a lot of the foundations are established and they get that charitable write-off to when they give money. So they need that charitable write-off and with your charitable status, you are able to give them that, right? Um, some government funders would give a nonprofit organization because, I mean, they don't need no charitable write-off, right? Um, they do that. So, so yeah, so it depends. And, and like I said, yes, if you know you're not a good writer, you don't have the technical skills, then you probably would have to invest in getting, you know, a grant writer. Could you do this alongside, like, some fund, like your local body, like start up some kind of a, something on the side and get your local body to support you? When you say local body, you're saying within your church? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if your church, if you want to, you know, so here's what I think. There have been some churches that have successfully established nonprofit organizations other than just their church because they are also interested in going after, maybe they want to have uh, more impact on the youth in the community. And then they do understand that, hey, for me to have greater impact, I probably need some government money, right? And so there have been some churches that I know that have um, established nonprofit charitable organizations that are connected to their church, but mm -hmm. different. They have their church and they also have another nonprofit organization that is not registered as a Christian so that they would be able to access some of those partnerships, right? Um, but to your question, you could do that way. And also, like, if you are, I always feel like the church has um, a greater advantage, I would say, for somebody who's going alone, like, you know, myself to set up a nonprofit. And one of the advantage is, well, if you have a good-sized congregation, they already aligned with your values. They know about giving. They know about charitable deeds and charitable acts. And guess what? We, you know, we are tithe payers. They say bring 10%. So if you have a large congregation, 
then you're getting money, then you can allocate that money to charitable works and charitable deeds. And also, you have a number of volunteers already available to you. So it depends on where your church, you know, um, what resources are available to your congregation. Yes. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, where would one find resources for um, grant writing? If you're not technically skilled in that field, because I know it's not like an easy thing to do, but uh, is there like, uh, you just Google it, or um, is there an office or somewhere? Or you what? just have to just Google it. So you like people to write grants for you? Because mean? I know there are people out there, so yeah, I can write a grant and they do a really crappy job. Yes, I know, I, 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 and I know. So yeah, so it's, for me, it was word of mouth and, you know, you might Google and you may find that they're probably not good, right? So um, I've been around it some, some years now, so I do have a team. So you'll probably just speak. So if you're looking for that, you could speak to me too and perhaps I could probably help you with that. But you may know somebody, you may not know somebody. Um, you could speak to somebody that probably has an organization and say, hey, like, uh, who's your grant writer? Like, who helps you with grants? So is there help? Can you help me with grant? Can you lead me or guide me to somebody? Um, I would say that over, you know, researching and putting it in a Google, I, I, I rather word of mouth because at least somebody can attest to that person, right? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not sure if this has been answered yet but, or asked yet. Um, have, there, have you ever seen charities where they do not start off uh, with needs, with a viewpoint of needs, but with a viewpoint of assets? Like, we, we can do this well, but now we can find someone who may, who we can provide that service or demand. Or, yeah, assets over needs. Okay, um, maybe you want to break down the question when you say chart. So when you say, okay, a chart, maybe they have uh, established infrastructure? Mm -hmm. Like, let's say, oh, we do sports really well. Yeah. Right? We have people, we have the resources, we have the means, we have the space. Have you ever seen charities start off that way rather than, oh, we see a need over there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's all, a, and, and you see the church has assets. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to package it sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Especially in a lot of churches. I think the church is really, really missing out, if you ask me. Because I think that there's a lot of assets. You have the human resources because you have a lot of volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're already aligned to the values because they know, hey, we have to do things for the community. They're aligned. And so the church just really needs to do the packaging, of what they're already probably doing. And, and the packaging will also help to increase the impact and to grow the work. So it's about being able to package it so that you can scale it. If you wanna scale what you're doing, it has to come with packaging. So to answer your question, yes. Yeah. I think there's a, a guy that I know, he started a, he was a, he was with a church. I can't remember his name now, but if I go through my email, we were in connection. But he was a pastor, and he actually he left the pastoring for, for specifically this. He, he runs a sports organization. It was under the church, and now it, it has grown so much that it has gone independently from outside of the church. But he does summer camp sports, um, summer sports camps. Any other questions? Can you just speak to um, the organization um, that you mentioned that does um, funding, even if you're not registered? Yeah, so I, I said for Ontario Trillium Fund. So yeah, so that's Ontario Trillium Fund. They have, uh, it's for the YOF grant. Uh, it's called the Youth Opportunity Fund. They allow um, test grants. So they would give you funds uh, for grassroots groups. So you're not registered. Uh, you just need three individuals. And you have to say, well, this is what uh, my idea and this is how I think it's going to help the community. And I think you could get up to $85,000 for three years. Three years of $85,000 to pay yourself so that you could be able to try out your idea. So, is that just for youth? Is that initiative? So, yeah, so under that initiative, so there's the youth, and also there is also the one under the family innovative stream. Yes. Well, I wanted to ask, like, I know partnerships are super important for nonprofits, but like, what type of criteria would you look for? Yeah, so that's a good question. So, so there are different kind of partners, right? So you have your funding partner, but then you have also strategic partner with other organizations. And so collaboration is key because there is no way as a nonprofit, the need in our community is so great that you cannot solve all the need. 
when you look at those people coming to you, you know that they need solutions. And so you need to be able to create those networks and resources. The other thing is you need to have vehicles to bring in the people that you serve. So you have to think about what is my mission, right? And then you need to have an environmental scan also. That's also part of the strategy, right? Because if you have a mission, you want to do an environmental scan. Say I'm serving Jane and Finch area. And then I'm saying, okay, well, I'm serving Jane and Finch area. I just want to do something good and I'll start, I will start a food bank. Well, have you done an environmental scan? How many people are doing food banks in Jane and Finch? Is food bank what Jane and Finch really needs right now? So you have to do the research you have to do the environmental scan. And in your environmental scan, you'll begin to look at, okay, who are the partners that align with me? Who does what I'm already doing? Who, where is the gap? So I, I didn't say this, but let me say this. When you're doing your clear, clear, clearing out your vision, you want to look for the gaps, right, guys? So we're not going in to do what everybody else is doing. You want to be strategic and you want to be able to be set apart. And that's also what's also going to help you with your funding. So what are the gaps in services? What are they missing that you could come in with your partnership? Know this, that in the nonprofit sector, nonprofits are very competitive mm -hmm. because when you come to them, they think that you're going to steal from the same person that they're going after. So you're coming in and they know that, well, you're going to apply for that government funding. The funds are limited. Not everybody can be funded. And so because of that, it puts competition. So if you're not strategic and see the area that, well, here, you're doing this, but this is where we differentiate and this is how we could partner, then they look at you as a competition and they're not willing to partner with you. So you have to do the environmental scan and look for the gaps and see who, who's out there that aligns with my values, my mission, my purpose. On our next episode of Sidewalk Skyline podcast, we're going to hear from Celine Phillips and uh, her session, Justice is Social. Um, she uh, works uh, part-time in ministry with the uh, Anglican Church of Canada at the Church of St. Peter and St. Simon. She's the coordinator, director of Child, Youth, and Family Ministries there, and also serves on the advisory board and pastoral leadership team. Uh, for more than 25 years and four churches, she's been involved in youth ministry. Uh, she also works uh, for the federal government and uh, for more than 20 years. And uh, while uh, her employment policies do not allow her to, uh, to say where she works, uh, she is uh, involved in uh, uh, working with the vulnerable sector. And, um, and, and she's just a, a great uh, uh, speaker preacher, teacher, uh, poet, uh, literary artist, spiritual care practitioner, and uh, she's also a philanthropist and the founder of uh, Shafak, or Shafak, a private support group for women. Um, the justice is social. So come back and uh, hear our next episode with uh, Celine Phillips. Until that time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And you are listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.